Apparently, I'm the Rosa in this relationship. Oh. <laughs> Does that make you boil? I really hope not. We're not doing this. No, we're not at neither, all. Neither on air or, or nor in our real lives. <laughs> we'll shake on that. Yeah. We'll never do Shaking that. sound effect. <laughs> Welcome to Back in the Field. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi. And this is episode two, in which we'll be discussing episode two of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Tagger. Now, last time we did a watch-along, which was fun, but we decided we didn't want to do that for every episode just because it's kind of, well, it's kind of boring. Well, I mean, if you're watching the episode, it's not that boring because you get to A, watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and B, listen to us, which... We hope are complimentary activities, <laughs> but we A, can't guarantee that, and B, it puts a lot more pressure on you, the listeners. So we decided to do a just straight out talking for a while commentary mm -hmm. that only requires you to press play and I guess find some headphones or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is one you guys can listen to on your commutes, on the subway if you're like us, or on a bus. You, you could listen to the other one on the commute, but... It'd be really, I, there would be no context. It just wouldn't be as fun. I remember I was trying to do that the other day because we're obsessive and we listen to ourselves. And uh, mostly we were like editing and I, I was listening to the commentary track while I was doing work. And I was like, this is fine. But there's like a lot of pauses that we can't just edit out. So yeah, that I know you guys care so much about <laughs> our podcast. Like we're learning how to do this. So And you're going to have to learn with us. <laughs> you're going to have to deal with our product as we learn. Um, all right, cool. Let's uh, let's kind of dive right into this. So the tagger. Let's let's talk about what the episode's about a little bit for people who've forgotten. Right. So the tagger. Uh, the general. We're still in the kind of life le lesson for Jake every week. Yeah. Uh, arc. Yeah. Arc. That quote kind marks. of and that kind of ends probably around the vulture. I think. Oh yeah, that ends around the vulture. Well, that's because that's the vulture is when the show gets good. <laughs> um. But the episode this week is that Jake should friggin' do his job sometimes, like, all the time. And he should do it right, as opposed to just doing it. Like, there, there's, there's a difference between just doing your job for the sake of going through the motions of it, and, like, doing it right so that... I mean, Hope brings up, makes this lesson very clearly at the end, which is that you should do your job right, because if you do your job right, it's less likely that you're you're going to get yourself in trouble and like the episode kind of bookends that nicely with um him opening with uh you almost labeled the evidence wrong if the sarge hadn't caught your mistake it could have been very costly and these are things that are actually really important because um in in <laughs> so me putting on my police nerd hat um cops can only count cases as being closed if they go to trial they don't have to the da does not have to win the case in trial or or and the person doesn't even have to like plead out as long as the case goes to trial, uh, Comstat considers the case solved. Or at least the detectives have done all the work that they're required to do. Mm -hmm. Remember that in the United States legal system, for those unaware, the standard, uh, the standard of duty is uh, reasonable doubt or beyond a reasonable doubt. So, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a certain amount of logic to that. But ultimately, uh, when when we talk, when they talk in the show about somebody labeling evidence incorrectly, this is why it's really important. It's not as important for the cop stats, but it's actually important for the actual case moving forward. If evidence is misplaced, it can't be used in trial. So while Jake is learning this lesson, he and Holt investigate a 
case of a serial vandal who's been tagging all of the police cars with what everyone but Hitchcock and Scully recognize as male genitalia. <laughs> uh, they don't really know what testicles are. It's so, a butt. Um, the, these men have some problems with their lives, is, is the moral of that story. They're just too stupid to live right now. Well, you know, they're really just too stupid to procreate. <laughs> we have no proof that either of them have children. Yeah, that's true. We actually don't know if, if they have kids or not. We know that Scully has a wife. And maybe a dog. Who might be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, we know he has a wife. And I and we know we, he has a dog, I think. Yeah, we know both we of We just don't things. know which one is which. Correct. Um, and then the B-plot for this episode is, uh, is the psychic, um, Carlene. Which is, I believe, the first instance of a comedy Carl. <laughs> Something I'm going to be keeping track of because I have the most hilariously dim-witted name in the world. <laughs> yes, Carl. Carl's name is Carl. I have deep-seated anxieties. Oh, dear. See, and my, my name being Arthi means no one has ever named the same thing as me. There are lots of Indian girl names. Weirdly, though, a fun fact, Arthi is actually the most common Indian girl name. Just no one in the United States has ever met another Arthi except for me, apparently. I've never met another Arthi until I was on the internet, but that's a different story. Um, yeah, the B plot is uh, Carlene, um, Gina's friend, who is also a store manager at what amounts Leonard's to... Discount Footwear. I was about to say it's, it's clearly like a DSW knockoff, um, and she helps uh, Rosa, Amy, and Boyle. Well, helps, helps. them solve a uh, locate the drugs in a drug bust, mm-hmm. but more importantly informs Boyle that there, he has absolutely zero chance of ever, 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 ever getting with Rosa Diaz. Which Gina happily cottons onto and needles him about. I think my favorite scene, we're just going to dive into this. So I think my favorite scene in this episode is where Charlene tells him this. And then Gina's like, she just told you your future, Charles. Say thank you. And he does. Yes, he does. And But he doesn't accept his future. No. He gets the future and he thanks the future giver for the received future. Not very sincerely. But he sincerely. does not accept. No, no. And I mean, and and part of that, look, I don't want to be all like victim blaming, but early on they hadn't decided if Rosa Boyle was actually going to be Endgame or not, I think. and She actually, her characterization in regards to Charles is, I think, incompatible with the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. They, had, they sowed the seeds in the first episode, both for the possibility that she would like him because she agrees to go to the silent movie thing with him, and for the likelihood that it was completely one-sided with her telling him that they're not going to the movie festival after all, um, and him saying, sure, let's keep it profesh. Which he says like almost exactly again later, I think. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, they're like, well, why don't we see if there can be a couple? And it's so weird. It's super weird. And like, I feel like, I feel like they don't... We find out... After this episode that Rosa has told Boyle repeatedly no. And I think that's the point where it gets weird. Up until then, it's just sort of uncomfortable, but like tolerable. It's, it's like uncomfortable because he's failing. Yeah. Rather than uncomfortable because he's making a nuisance of himself. And and basically, like, it, it, this is well before it's gone into the sexual harassment lawsuit line. Yeah, I think, uh, so my belief in, in that area is that 
the many instances of him asking and her saying no happen between episodes mm-hmm. and aren't like way in backstory before this. Mm-hmm. So I think that he has he actually hasn't crossed that line yet, mm-hmm. which is why she like actually kind of flirts with him in this episode. Like after she punches him really, really hard in the arm, <laughs> she leans way over until their faces are like three inches apart. Like we're talking too close for TV. Like TV close is like, look, people on TV tend to stand super close together because of framing, but like this is too close even for framing. Yeah. Uh, and she laughs at him being weird mm-hmm. and she tries to help him make his life better, which, you know, you could do as friends, but I I just think that in this episode they're trying to characterize her as possibly being interested in Charles. And th- that's why it doesn't make any sense. I think, I think also this is a great episode because we... assuming that she's just trying to look at him as just a friend, it sets up what we see as their friendship later on, which is sort of an easy camaraderie and, like, supportive, but not necessarily, like, burdened with his overwhelming, like, point-blank staring at her. Hmm. Um, And I think think that's interesting. I think that's... um, I remember when I watched this the first time, like, I I was undecided on Rosa Boyle for a long time. I didn't care for it, personally, just because they, they struck me as being too much of a mismatch. I think there's, there's like, there's an asymptotic line as to how much mismatch a couple can have. And, like, Jake and Amy are a good example of, like, being within that bound, where they're, like, different people, but they're complementary different. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel Rosa and Boyle are not complementary different. They're just different. Like, Rosa and Boyle have no interest in common. Rosa doesn't... Like, I think Rosa eats food to live. Like, I think Rosa is much more of the kind of robot cop than than Holt actually is, except that she's, like, RoboCop or the Terminator or something. And Excellent he's... foreshadowing. Yeah. Is that the next episode? Yes, that Go is team. actually the next episode. Um, and Boyle's a foodie. Mm-hmm. Boyle's a, a consummate romantic. Rosa's idea of a good time is, like, fucking a dude. Like, boning down let's while, be real after watching basketball like yeah. she's very much like and, and this is actually a nice segue into something that we wanted to say for the next episode but maybe it's a good point to hat tip here which is sure. just that like if we look at like i'm all for like sort of playing with gender gender roles and gender types and you know charles is often very feminized he enjoys food he's like a foodie he enjoys cooking or weird food and, and he's kind of not physically gifted is mm-hmm. exactly the words used in the pilot. Um, Although I wouldn't call that a like feminized trait. In the pilot, that isn't exactly what they deliver on. Like they are they put that forward as a vehicle for physical comedy. Mm-hmm. The jokes are generally about his dainty fingers or thin skin na- thin <laughs> skin, narrow hips. Oh, things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, or which rather, is, narrow, narrow shoulders. Which is really interesting because literally Amy is smaller than Boyle. Like, in a very literal sense. Like, she's an actress on TV, so she's she's got to be smaller than any male counterpart on screen with her. Is she... I think she might be taller than Boyle, though. I, but she... Amy wears also wears, like, clunky heels. Yeah, okay. Like, we, we see her... She wears heels that I would wear if I were to be a cop in heels. As opposed to, like... Look, Castle, I love you, but Detective Beckett runs around in stilettos, which if I were an NYPD detective, I would not do. Like, not something that makes me want to watch Castle. <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of enemies on this podcast, but uh, fight me. It's okay. I we. Or do people not fight on Tumblr? <laughs> people fight on Tumblr. Oh, sweet. <laughs> no, uh, 
Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> not the point. So so back to back to the tagger. So yeah. This this episode is trying to do a couple of things at once. And mm-hmm. Like it at its structural level, it's both trying to start the structure that goes throughout the season, which is round robin character pairing in episodes. Mm-hmm. So every character gets a chance to be with every other character for an episode. Mm-hmm. Except for Charles and Holt who are just never getting together. Like they're never gonna have an episode that's dedicated to their relationship because Probably not dedicated, but they do get some great like one on one moments throughout the series. They will in season two probably. I really hope so. Maybe the next episode is a Charles and Holt no, it's the not. The finale? <laughs> it's definitely not. No, it's not. <laughs> what am I thinking? Uh, we are recording this before the finale Literally airs. before it. So, well, jump, not that jump, jumping off the plot we were on recently, uh, we do want to say that we know that Podolsky comes back in some important way in the finale. Yeah, we've read the, the, press, the press release talked about it, and it was like, it, it mentioned, it, it's, this press release is very direct. The press release says that, Detective Podolsky is kind of out for Jake's blood, mm-hmm. and it's in t- it's it's a direct result of events in this episode where Jake arrests Podolsky's kid. But we don't know how that comes back yet. Correct. So you you people you of the know. future are luckier than we. <laughs> yes. So we we are speaking purely ignorant of the finale in this episode, but we have seen everything up until then. So we're at one twenty one right now. So anyway, this this starts. Pairing characters off and developing all their relationships. And the pairs, uh, the big pairs in this episode are uh, Holt and Jake Mm -hmm. and the trio of Rosa, Amy, and Boyle, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting trio. Does that happen again? Do we see that again? No, uh, I don't think so. I... I think we see we see the, the ladies pair uh, group together. Yeah, we see we see that a lot, but I don't. I don't think there's been another Rosa Amy Boyle working together without Jake, episode, and they're a pretty effective team. Although Boyle's just kind of there. Yeah, he does sort of feel like the pancreas in this episode, the the gallbladder. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think like in the in the episode where Terry's uh, where they take him to the firing range to get recertified. I'm trying to think of what the other plot in that was because it would have been. Isn't that a meantime? Is it? I think so. So it's Jake. It's Jake. No, that's the vulture. Yeah. That's everyone. Yeah. That's the best. Uh, we can't wait for the vulture. We we really but we have to get so, through this so. first. <laughs> so the other thing that this episode is doing is being the second episode of any season yeah. and redoing all of the pilot's goddamn jokes. Yeah, sophomore slump is pretty hard in effect here. And it's it's not necessarily bad. It's, it, they managed to sort of work with the sophomore slump in, I think, a way that's that's not terrible. There have definitely been shows that have had much more precipitous drop-offs after Between the, the first and second episodes? Yeah, and, it's, and a big part of it is because I think... So just speaking as somebody who enjoys TV, I think a big part of the quote unquote problem is that you get like you get you get as much time as you want to up until your pilot is shot to refine your pilot so the jokes in the pilot are like a well-tuned uh stand-up comedy show where like you know you've done the jokes you workshop them you have the timing down pat and it's a matter of chemistry and and all of that like you have the writing down 
And so it's about getting the talent to make that writing or to make that writing come across on the camera. By contrast, with the soft, with the second episode, you get like you get like four days basically mm-hmm. from when from when the pilot is picked up and you begin production on the season. You get like four days to write this episode, and so it's like. I think I think it's really easy. The reason that a lot of times I think second episodes tend to sort of be retreads of the pilot is because these people haven't really touched that script in a long time, most likely. But they're also, but also, additionally, they're trying to pick up all of the character notes from the first episode mm-hmm. for everyone who heard the buzz around the pilot and wants to start watching the show. Yeah. So they need to reestablish everyone's character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is why Jake hasn't grown at all between the first and second episode. Mm-hmm. He's, like, arguably worse. Yeah, and in fact, actually, uh, we, we noted in in the in their watch-along of the pilot that Jake, we got to talk all over Jake being like, well, our last captain did this, and he does that again in this episode. At least he doesn't do it to Holt again. God, yeah, at least it's Jeffords, Jesus. But, like, that, uh, honestly, I, it's one of those things where I think about, like, when I was a snot-nosed brat of a child, I would definitely say that to to i had i have said that to other people and i kind of regret it now and in retrospect i definitely regret it now in retrospect but but hopefully neither of us will be doing that when we're 34 goddamn years old (laughs) i really have been doing the same goddamn job for 12 goddamn years i really hope in 10 years i'm 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 already more like whatever we can talk about that another time but like like I, I i agree with you that there's no reason for jake to be that way at the age that he is there's reasons and well, mcginley is one of those reasons mcginley actually his police station was fucking chaos yeah actually now that i think about it we we the more the more we like go through the show and hear about how the 99 is the opposite of a stellar precinct the more it's obvious that like they must have like asked McGinley like very quite like very like loudly to retire because he yeah. was being useless. I mean, maybe maybe he was just like, okay, I've had too many heart attacks from all my bribery burgers <laughs> to keep being at this precinct. God, but uh, the the exact words Jake says are: McGinley would always arrive an hour late. He was always hungover, and he would let you do anything as long as you bribed him with a hamburger. Yeah, it's a miracle the nine nine has been functional for as long as it has. But, and the only person holding it together was Terry. Oh, hands down. There's and even he, and the thing about Terry is unlike Holt, he'll go along with the precinct's nonsense when they want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. He does this in with the bet. Like you always see him dancing in the background with everyone else when <laughs> it, when all hell breaks loose. Um, so he might have kept them from, you know, tearing down the entire precinct, but he's not going to prevent them from accidentally tasing a monitor on fire. Yeah, definitely not that. And I think I think also probably the reason that like Holt says that Jeffords is the one that caught Jake's mistake. And I, it makes me wonder, like, Jake looks at Terry like, what? And Terry's just like, shrug. And it makes me wonder, like, that must have been the majority of Terry's job, was just making sure that all the pieces that needed to be in order were in order when they needed to be in order. And, like, that's terrifying. That is literally the captain's job. But he couldn't do the captain's job for him because if someone noticed then he might get in trouble with McGinley. Mm-hmm. Like, actually usurping the job that's not being done is really dangerous. Yeah, especially in command and, like, military paramilitary organizations, basically. 
Like this is this is a this is actually a problem of jumping the line. Like McGinley might have noticed. Like McGinley might have noticed. He probably wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But you know, he would definitely be looking for some opportunity to have control of something, right? Yeah. Uh, Presumably. I mean, I'm just assuming that he's another like, terrible old school cop. We'll have a lot to say about old school cops. When we get to old school. Speaking of, Hitchcock and Scully spoke in this episode. Yeah, they got their first lines. That's so great for them. <laughs> I don't remember what I'm, those lines were. but It's, it's the penis thing. That's oh, the... right. Those, that's the first thing they say ever. <laughs> the first thing they say in the show is, it's the butt. <laughs> that is Scully's first line, you guys. That. They're so useless. They're so worthless. Also, Daniels is no longer there. Yeah. She's gone. Um, yeah, uh, but let's let's circle back to Terry for a minute. Let's talk sure. about how much character development he gets in this episode. Because we've, we've touched a bit about like him being like clearly like, the reason that that precinct was being held together. So in the briefing, when... One of the things that Rosa does in this episode is she's always just laughing at everyone around her, mm-hmm. which is... Cool in moderation. <laughs> when it's discovered that Terry has a minivan, she gets everyone laughing at him, and he shuts it down immediately as, like, big scary boss guy. Right. And his, and in the very next second, he goes from, you have a problem with my minivan, to, my wife doesn't like it either, but I've got to think of my baby girls. <laughs> I, I, I love this episode. I love Terry's character because... Terry Crews has said, and and we'll probably we'll definitely talk about this again in the next episode. But Terry Crews has said that like so much of Terry Jeffords is just himself, and I think that's wonderful because it's it's so nice to just see. We've seen a lot of press about Brooklyn Nine Nine talking about how the show is like groundbreaking and super diverse and plays with like stereotypes and images of 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 these characters and how they're sort of stereotypically represented versus like them being shockingly actual human beings. And I think no character personifies that better than Terry because Terry could be sort of the typical like Denzel Washington, scary black guy cop. And he's Is that like, Denzel Washington? I haven't seen any cop movies. So. <laughs> oh no. I mean, in training day, he's kind of scary. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know about all the time. I look my most of my reference frame of reference for Denzel Washington's Remember the Titans. I have very rarely seen a movie, so I watch a lot of movies and I watch a lot of cop shows, as you guys all know by this point. And <laughs> given my like eighteen references to things, but um, like the thing about Terry is he displays like. His act is clearly very capable of displaying terrifying aggression, and he's huge. <laughs> he's so huge. Yeah, in real life, Terry Terry Crews is about 6'4", uh, and he is basically triangular-shaped. Yeah. He routinely lifts any member of the 9-9. He could probably bench Scully. I'd like to point out that, like, we see, we see him... Flip over Scully, which there must have been wires, because I can't imagine him just doing that in real life. Though I, w- I mean, I can imagine him lifting that guy. I just can't imagine it being safe for the actor. No, not at all. Uh, by the way, Terry Crews, if by some crazy, ha- like crazy random happenstance you're listening to this and you actually did lift 
that actor upside down and we're shaking him without any wires. Mad props. Also, thank you for listening to Back in the Field. Would you like to buy our t-shirts, which we don't have yet? <laughs> Would you like to be a guest? <laughs> but this is the future. Yes, this is definitely we're for the future. We're free Thursdays. We're free a lot of the time, honestly. <laughs> Please come to my apartment, Terry Cruz. <laughs> and come record with us. No, all joking aside. Um... Maybe bring a better mic. <laughs> hey! This is he, a good mic. He's an actual actor. He probably has a better mic. This isn't a bad mic, but he probably could get a better one. Our previous mic was one I borrowed from my job. Don't tell my job. And, uh, and well, they knew. And and it's it was a much more, like, sophisticated microphone. This one will do. But, no, um, I, I would like to point out that I'm actually Jake Peralta's size. I'm actually Andy Samberg's size, hmm. give or take. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm right at his height. Um, I'm a little... I'm a little bit heavier than him just because I'm female and and we carry more weight on us usually. But like for the most part I'm roughly Andy Sandberg's like size and <laughs> I can't imagine anyone lifting me in the ways Terry has been like lifting Andy Sandberg. Like in the he show. just lifts him like he doesn't even have to get around him, he just lifts him by the armpits like one like would a lift child. a baby. <laughs> like a child. And just lifts and he like lifts him over his head. Yeah. Like like, like Andy Samberg is probably like 180 pounds soaking yeah. wet, and like, <laughs> yes, ladies, I just said that. Um, and 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 Terry Crews is like, whoop, like, dude, that's amazing. But what we're actually talking about with his character development beyond just his he's musculature, he's so strong. He's very strong, but he's also <laughs> extremely caring. Yes, um, he's reacted with very strong negative emotions to the idea of endangering himself, not for himself, but for his family. Mm-hmm. Um, he is unquestionably a family man beyond anything else. He's put that above all other values in his life. Yeah. And that's unshakable. And as we'll see in later episodes, he's also undoubtedly the most cultured member of the Nine Nine. Mm-hmm. Like he knows more about more intellectual topics than literally anyone else. Mm -hmm. But so circling back to where this started from, I I believe, as I recall, Terry Crews mentioned that the minivan story is actually straight out of his real life. That that he had that fight over a minivan with his wife? (laughs) Which, I don't know, but I think it was actually the same fight and like a similar conversation happened where he offered up his minivan to somebody and everyone started laughing. He's like, are you making fun of my minivan? And then he's like, because my wife. All, like, I'm pretty sure, like, most of that conversation was straight out of Terry Crews. Like, that was something that happened in his life. And Because Terry Crews has five kids. How do you lug around five kids except in a minivan? You can't just put them in the flatbed of a truck. <laughs> Believe me, that's, lots of wish people wish you could. And lots of people do, but that's illegal. <laughs> yes, that is not the way you are supposed to do things. You do hear me, cornfield people and like south, like people from the south. You're hey. not supposed to do that. Hey, look, I'm from Texas and I lived in Indiana. I can say these things. Okay. That's right, Harvard. I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> what up? <laughs> we won that war, by the way. There was once a war between Texas and Oklahoma, which we won. Only because you Sooners probably started before the bell rang. Yeah, we said tanks. <laughs> you said lawyers. What up? <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. We need to, um, um, uh. What the hell are we talking about? Let's, uh, can we talk about the Highlander line? Let's talk about the Highlander line. So, I think this is the first time we see anything about, I think this is the first time we see anything about, uh, Jake being a huge nerd. He know he clearly knows more about the Highlander 
than I do, and I'm a pretty serious nerd. He says to the kid, the kid's like, I'm 610 years old, and Jake's response is... I'm 610 years old, I'm a Highlander. Right, and Jake's response is about cutting his head off, which is what they actually are. Which is what you have to do to kill a Highlander. Yes. On the one hand, that's basically the limit of what anyone can casually, air quotes, know about Highlander. (laughs) But Highlander is not... A very popular media franchise. Not anymore. It was like mega popular for like a minute, but like... So it's possible that he just caught a bunch of airings of it, of it while he was sitting around on TV. It might have been Nana was just really into that very attractive Highlander man. I don't remember his name. Highlander is not my nerd <laughs> No, garden. no, no. I'm not saying... I mean, the, the point is like, Jake is like a late 80s, early 90s child. That's when Highlander was running... If he has spent as much time with his grandmother as I as it sounds like he did, it's very possible Nana was super into Highlander and yeah, Jake was possible. sort of forcibly into Highlander by proxy. Or, I mean, he was a kid. There were swords. Like, swords are great. Swords are pretty awesome. There's some good fights. As, as a qualified boy child, I could guarantee that swords were awesome <laughs> and still are. They're the basis of my career. Listen, how much Xena did I watch as a child? She what? has a sword. And, yeah. like, a bunch of other sharp, shiny things. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I... I, I Yes. Yes. Um, I'm glad we agree that swords are awesome. High five. Yo. Um, but Sorry yeah, about this that, is... your ears. And we'll, we'll cut it The up. point of this is that Jake makes a number of nerd references over the course of this series. Mm-hmm. This is the first of those. Mm-hmm. We, we like to point out things that like have come back. And like I'm not saying that uh, everything's a brick joke with this show. Um, mm-hmm. with, which of those of you who don't know what a brick joke is, go to TV Tropes. It'll explain it. That's brick, like a building block, and um, not everything is a brick joke, and not everything boomerangs back, but a lot of things do, and it's really fun, especially with a show like this, where like the creators have done this before. This is not the first time that Shur and Gore have worked on a show where they did stuff like this, and so it's great seeing like the continuity and seeing things come back, and so we like to, like, Carl and I are big fans of that type of thing, and so we're going to red flag stuff that we find interesting just because it comes back in an interesting way. So this is a minor example of Jake's development in this episode. The more major note of his character that's developed is that Jake puts a tremendous amount of effort into whatever it is he wants to do. The problem being that in this episode, what he wants to do is be a tool. What What he wants to do is work as hard as possible to look as bad as possible. Yeah. He named the mouse in his desk. He <laughs> asked Gina to look up moon phases for his report after Holt commanded him to do all of his job. Mm-hmm. He said to Terry, "If he, I've got to do things his way, I'm going to do them my way. Which is hilarious, but also super telling. Yeah. And at the end of the episode... He set up a goddamn tent in the briefing room and embarrassed the hell out of himself to prove an itty-bitty tiny point to Holt, which was that he, w- even though he had learned his lesson and was going to try to show up on time, it was still a huge hassle. Yes, it's, 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 this, is, this is classic toddler behavior, in my opinion, mm-hmm. just because it's like, I'm going to drag my feet as long as possible before I do the thing that you're going to make me do regardless. Yeah. And, I mean, that's fine, but it's also like, 
doesn't stop being frustrating to watch on some level. I'm glad that they kind of move out of this phase really quickly. Just well, because. it's a negative. It is a negative implementation of actually one of Jake's better character traits. Yeah. Which is that when he wants to do something, he'll throw everything that he has behind it. And we'll see this in the finale. Like this is literally this is literally what happens in the finale, from hmm. what we understand. But but it's and and you're right. This is his most consistent character trait because we see this in the bet too. In the bet resolution, he puts in, Boyle calls him out on it, too, where it's like he puts in a ton of effort into something that is supposed to be a joke for the lulls or just, like, you know, not supposed to be that serious. Whereas, like, the only times we see him doing that are for something that he wants to treat as a joke but is really serious. Hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of a nice, like, parallel that's being set up because now that I've said that and I sound super smart, I'm like, oh, yeah, so that's the date is supposed to be fun and, like, stupid, but it's actually really serious. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, for Jake, it's an emotional Rubicon. Just like in this episode, doing all of his job is step one of him crossing his professional Rubicon. Yeah. So the other things that we see him, like, putting it all into, that he seems to actually want to do for himself is, like, the stupid backstory that he creates, um, Harvey Norgenblum, um, who, by the way, this divorced CPA with a dark sexual history is, like, every terrible literary fiction Jonathan Franzen protagonist ever. By the way, if you like Jonathan Franzen, turn off the podcast because I will find you. <laughs> like you, I'm laughing because Carl has the most murderous look on his face right now. Like it's legit, like the angriest. I I have had so many. Like I keep finding new delightful ways to hate that man, but that's really neither here nor there. The point is. Wait, wait, no. Jay, I have I have a terrible confession related to oh, that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I used to get Jonathan Franzen and Al Franken mixed up. Which is, no, but you don't understand. That's actually, like, legit the worst possible thing. They're legitimately, like, not only different human beings. Al Franken worked on Saturday Night Live. He was one of the head writers for Weekend Update for, like, seven years. (laughs) It's disgusting that I got them mixed up for as long as I did. And I apologize to the comedy gods. It's on them for putting their names so close together. How dare Ellis Island people name other people similar shit? Fuck them. We're making some assumptions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is listen you guys we're trying really hard to make this podcast as entertaining as possible because neither of us really cared for this episode well the the part of this episode that i that i really liked a lot was the way it started looking at jake confronting his own privilege yeah so a lot of things are off about this episode and they're all subtly related to cops behaving badly so why don't you talk about some of the, the stuff that the cops do for fun that is actually super problematic? Well, for one that I actually really, like, the one that, like, gets me is that Jake makes the joke about putting Amy's phone number all over the Rikers Island urinals, which is, yeah, just Carl's making the most, like, disgusting Blah. face. Right, and it's, like, and it fits into, it. it's one of those things that it makes sense, kind of, but it's not really excusable. Yeah. Um... And we know he'd never do that. It's a one-off line. It's a like, joke, yeah. You said something mean to me, so I'll say something mean to you. But it's so beyond the pale. It's actual sexual harassment and abuse of power. It feels it 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 feels like a disproportionate response because what 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 has she done in that scene again to make him? She's... She she said that she recommended him 
arresting Podolsky's kids so that they could, so that they could watch his career end in front of them. Right, and then yeah, it just it the, it seems like such a disproportionate response. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it's also like going after her in a very different way. Yeah. It's like it's like if I were like Carl, you're stupid, and you're like, well, you're a fat, ugly bitch. <laughs> like <laughs> what? <laughs> like wildly disproportionate responses, like all around. Yeah, and that's exactly what this feels like to me. Um, same scene. Uh-huh. Same, same scene. Rose's advice is to hit him really hard in a place where no one will see it. With a phone book, because... Here's why. Because a phone book will bruise differently than, like, a bat. Or a fist. Yeah. Because it distributes the force differently. Exactly. And so it's like... Listen, you guys. Burn Notice taught me... Because MacGyver. But Burn Notice taught me that phone books can be used as, like, ad hoc bulletproofing for cars. (laughs) So imagine beating someone with a phone book. Like, that's some serious shit. That, the word for that is police brutality (laughs) against a juvenile. Which, by the way, Rose is like, oh yeah. And then she laughs. And it's like, "Mm." She She actually is like, yeah, what's the problem with that? Right. And it's, um, oh God, what else? Well, there's the fact that Boyle believes in psychics at all. Let alone for this case. But that's not actually a normal cop (laughs) failing. Unless you're watching Medium. I really don't think that If you're watching Medium, you need to turn this off right now. Well, I don't think we should really scare away literal all of our fans. (laughs) I really hope all of our fans are. While I agree that sexual harassment and police brutality are constant, perhaps endemic to many different police forces, I don't think belief in psychics is a classic (laughs) police foible. You're right, you're right. But there's... But these are all symptoms of abuse of power and corruption. And that's who Podolsky is. Podolsky is someone who will pull whatever strings he needs to to make his son live a consequence-free life. Yeah, and and I mean, Podolsky is also... It's not just like pulling strings, it's it's his flagrant disregard for protocol, his absolute just hand waving of any sense of like personal responsibility with regards to his son. That is probably the part that makes him like the most reprehensible. He orders he, he says to Jake, I think we can agree that I'm ordering you to drop this. Yeah. That's not even veiled. And that's the point at Jake goes to Holt actually open to advice, actually wanting to know what he is supposed to do. He opens up because he doesn't want to lose his job, but he doesn't want to be Podolsky. And that's where Holt just looks at him with an expression that says, you see why I need you to do your job? <laughs> so that you can be a good cop and not a bad cop. Yeah, and uh, and it's interesting because uh, there's a deliberate parallelism built between Podolsky's kid and Peralta. Mostly because they look really similar. Mm-hmm. That actor could grow up to be Andy Samberg if he wants to, and Although, it was is considerably talented. Although not as much as the guy who runs a delivery service called Luna. That person looks like a much thinner Andy Samberg, and it is very, very unnerving. We're not sponsored by Luna. Neither neither the Cliff Bar Company nor the delivery service in San Francisco. <laughs> um, but all joking aside, uh, yeah, there there's a certain amount of, like, parallelism drawn between these two. Because, like, the kid is, like, you, you can see there's, like, a certain amount of sort of antagonistic banter between him mm-hmm. and Peralta at their desk. They have exactly the same shit-eating grin. Oh, yeah. And, like, the kid, when, when the tables turn, the kid is sort of lording it over Jake, the way Jake was sort of lording over his I'm the police and you are a sieve. 
yeah um attitude like it's it there's some deliberate but subtle parallelism there the unsubtle parallel is the daddy issue issue yeah this is the first time we hear overtly about jake's daddy issues uh, they had to it again later and and i think most people caught on to it then which is the captain crunch line in a, in a couple of episodes but this is actually the first time we see his daddy issues kind of come up a bit because he doesn't just hate Podolsky, he envies Trevor for having a dad who let him do anything he wants. Yeah. And Holt says things like, no, 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 that is not good fatherhood. And he's stepping in and saying, that's not the model you need. I'm the model you need. Because mm-hmm. Jake is really envious that he doesn't have a dad. He envies any kind of father. And Holt is really very clever in manipulating that, I think. Because I think he's very intentionally manipulating Peralta because at that point he'll do whatever it takes to get him to do anything right. Yeah, but I don't know how much Holt picks up on daddy issues in that scene so much as just like general frustration that this kid has sort of unlimited power mm, and is because, willing to sort of take advantage because of that. Because that sounds like, it sounds like he's frustrated because, it must sound to Holt like he's frustrated because that kid gets to get away with stuff and Jake doesn't. Yeah. Whereas now that we have more context, you know, we can pinpoint, like, we can, that's why I can, we can pinpoint that this is part of Jake's overall daddy issues and stuff. But because he, and the specific line is like, his daddy comes out to bail him out every time. Something to that effect. And he's a lucky little jerk. Yeah. But he specifically uses the word daddy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's extremely, like, infantilizing. Yeah. It's 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 interesting that the word choice there I think is really interesting because he could have just said his father or his dad, but he goes with the most infantilizing version of that. You know, okay, so that we'll never stop talking about Jake's dad issues. But no. while we're talking about Trevor and before we have to go, let me talk about what I think, what line I think does the best in this episode, both comedically and for developing their theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when. Podolsky comes in and says, in order, you don't understand, Trevor's a special kid. He's going to Duke next year. Lacrosse scholarship. Boys will be boys. Do I have to explicate that? For, for me, yes. Please do. Okay. So a few years ago, I'm not sure how many, the entire Duke lacrosse team oh, yeah. was accused of raping a woman yeah. at a party. And they basically got off on a boys will be boys defense and with a massive application of privilege. Yeah. So you can see Jake cringe in response to that because that line is, A, lacrosse is the most privileged fucking sport. Mm -hmm. Like if Jamie Lannister was in the modern era, he would play lacrosse. (laughs) I've thought about this a lot. (laughs) I've thought about what sports all of the Game of Thrones characters would ask. Our ask box is open. I can answer your burning questions. We will answer But your also, question. like, this is so clear in defining that letting this shit go isn't just permissive. It's fucking dangerous. It creates terrible things in our culture. And they let it be funny while also pushing that into the audience's mind. You know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I actually really like that. The idea that, like, excusing people's behavior makes them believe that... It makes them more and more believe that they are gods. Yeah. And Holt actually hat tips this fully. 
he fully lampshades this. He says no, a good when he says a good father doesn't let his son get away with everything. Yeah. And it's it, and he's he's getting to what you're saying, and that's mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way before, but I I like that. Yeah. I really like that. That I think is the redeeming moment of what's generally a pretty weak episode. Yeah, I mean, honestly, most of this episode is is really centered around the A plot. And mm-hmm. I think like a lot of, we don't have a C plot either, really. Yeah, I was trying to remember, but there isn't one. Well, technically the drug bust is the C plot. Cause What's Gina, the B plot? The B plot would be uh, Boyle and the Psychic. But they're, that's the same plot. Well, they intertwine, yeah. but, they're, but they're fairly distinctive in that like, Boyle yeah. being in the chair doesn't have anything to do with the, the, drug, bust? the drug bust. Yeah, mm-hmm. not directly. Carlene's involvement with the drug bust is tangential at best. But her involvement with Boyle is the primary focus of the secondary plot line. Mm-hmm. That said, though, the C, like usually in the other episodes, the C plot is the C plot in this episode probably should have been Terry and Terry and someone. Yeah, maybe Terry could have gotten involved with a psychic or something, or gotten involved with a drug bust. Like he can still help with that. Yeah. But Terry didn't have much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy didn't have much to do. Amy had very very little to do. Like she has she talks to Jake for like a tiny little bit. Yeah. And we see a great moment between her and Rosa. We see them finally bond over the fact that they both think Carlene is garbage. Yes, and when, that's our that's our sidebar quote. Our entire lives are garbage. For now. I might eventually try to change it to something that makes us feel less terrible about ourselves. But, I mean, I'm I don't I don't know. I just did it because I think it's funny. Fair enough. There isn't a lot beyond the A plot in this episode, really. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know like Terry doesn't have a lot to do. Amy has very few lines and she's actually I don't think she gets a single like laugh out loud line in this episode. I think that her uh, response to the drug dealer's apartment pretty good. Oh, yeah. uh, not a deal breaker, I just repaint it. That's pretty funny. That actually is. I um, do like that she's the high seal <laughs> you know what? That's one of those things where it's like I like how much of a sense of place this the show has because a lot of times when they're like sort of talking about New York, it's so relatable. I want that apartment. I know, even the blue cabinets. I don't. I actually don't mind that. She thinks they're tacky. I think with the with yellow walls, it would look not terrible. Yeah, but she's never gonna have a modern design sense. She... No, she's <laughs> never gonna have a modern design sense. Anyway. And most people, honestly, like, all right, nerd hat. Most people are uh, moving towards white cabinets right now. Anyway. Um, but that said, uh, the, the, the complaint about the drug dealers always having a much nicer apartment than her is actually legit. Like, yeah. yeah. To be fair to Amy and Paula, she does solve the crime. She does. Yep. And, uh, and, and is, it's a felony. So yeah. it tallies in her favor. They, they break, oh wait, serial tagging is probably not a felony. <laughs> No, it's a misdemeanor. Okay. Vandalism so is just a behind. misdemeanor. Yeah. Maybe he'll lose. Although, uh, it's destruction of property might be a destruction felony. Destruction of police property? Yeah, that yeah, actually probably. might be a, a felony because it's technically city property. Hmm. Um, so. Do you think that would be a crime against the city? Which might count for felony status. Hmm. Um, okay. It's, yeah. But um, I think those are all the big things we wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. yeah. I think we've got... Enough episode. Yeah. So, uh, from us and back in the field, I'm Carl. My name is Arthi. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.